And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Turn your Bibles now to Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Today we will see some things which do not contribute to us being justified by God. Don't count on any of these things to make you right with God. And with his message is our pastor, Robert Elliott. Romans 3, 21 to 31, justification illustrated. I'm a bit of a golfer. I'm a lousy golfer, so it boosts my prayer life. But the golf swing is a many splendor thing because it's complex and yet simple at the same time. And the truth is about a golf swing is that it is largely the opposite of what you would think to have a good golf swing. And so if you take the club and you address the ball and you want to see the ball go up, you must keep your head down. If you want the ball to loft high to the green, you must hit the ball low. If you want to hurry the ball off the tee, you must take the club head back slowly. It's opposite to what you might think. Justification is like a golf swing in that justification is a many splendor thing. Justification at the same time is complex as well as simple. And the truth about justification is largely the opposite of what we might think left to our own devices. The truth about justification and what is required to have justification is contrary to what we would think up apart from Scripture. And so I start, as it were, figuratively yelling for because what we're going to learn tonight and see illustrated tonight about justification is like heads up. Something wonderful is going to be presented tonight in God's word and heads up. Romans 4 is going to convey great truth to us about righteousness being imparted to us, God acquitting us, God declaring us innocent through Christ. God giving us righteousness of Jesus, imputed righteousness. This is what Romans 4 is all about. God's work of making a believer in his son righteous in the courtroom of heaven. Romans 4 begins by presenting three things which do not contribute to us being justified. And it ends by presenting the one thing which does contribute to God acquitting us and declaring us innocent. And so we have four points tonight. The first three isolate what doesn't work when it comes to justification. And the fourth and last point in the chapter argues the one thing which does trigger God's work of acquitting sinners and declaring us to be righteous, that is right before him. So I want to begin by reading the first eight verses of Romans 4, 1 to 8. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found... For if Abraham was justified by works, he is something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith 
is reckoned as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. The first point this evening of four is this. Justification is apart from works. Justification is apart from any good works that we could do. And then two illustrations of the fact that justification is apart from works are given in the text. Abraham, the illustration of Abraham verses 1 to 5, and the second illustration that justification is apart from works is David, verses 6 through 8. And of course, Abraham and David were heavy hitters in the Jewish mind and nation. Abraham and David were big boys that were revered by Jews. Abraham, the nation's forefather. David, the nation's best-loved king. But there's more to see. In Abraham's case, righteousness was credited to him. This is positive divine action. Positive divine action. God, in grace, giving Abraham something. In David's case, it was slightly different. His unrighteousness was not credited to his account. This was a negative divine action. God didn't do something as he justified a believing David. Together, these cases and illustrations, examples of Abraham and David, together teach that God justifies totally apart from works. We can be relieved that's true. If that was not true, we would be in bondage. We would never know when we had done enough good works. But God justifies us apart from our good works. He credited to Abraham because of Abraham's faith. He did not count against David because of David's faith. God justifies then Apart from works, God justifies now apart from works. Now, erroneously, the Jews believed that Abraham actually performed the whole law. That became the oral tradition. Jews came to believe something that wasn't accurate, that Abraham actually performed the whole law of God, the Mosaic law. It wasn't true, but that came to be the oral tradition. They came to believe that Abraham did this in an astounding way. They believed that he performed the whole law before God even gave the law. And because he did fulfill the whole law, they believe, they believed he could somehow pass extra credit onto them as his descendants. Our Lord Jesus addressed that arrogant and nationalistic misunderstanding of justification head on in Luke 3.8. Listen to what Jesus said about that in Luke 3, verse 8. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Jesus cut at the root of this arrogant and nationalistic thought that Abraham fulfilled a Mosaic law before a Mosaic law was given, and because he fulfilled a Mosaic law before a Mosaic law was given, that he could pass on brownie points to them as Jews, his descendants. Now back to Romans 4, 
verses 1 to 5 are screaming something. And this is what they're screaming. If Abraham wasn't justified by his works, and he wasn't, then no other Jew could be or can be justified by their works. Look again at verse 3, would you? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. The word uh, reckoned in some versions and credited in the NASB is the Greek term logizomai. Logizomai, meaning accounting a credit to a ledger account this week. A nice lady came to the church building to work on our books. She was an accountant, I believe. And I, after meeting her and learning why she was at the building, I said, so you're keeping the debits and the credits straight. She's looking at the church's ledgers, ledger books on the computer to see that everything's in balance and above board and in good order. This is saying in verse 3, for what? Does the scripture say? That's the question we should always ask, by the way. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. Logizomai, it was an accounting credit to a ledger. Abraham's ledger before God was credited with righteousness. Why? Because he believed God, not because he served God. He trusted God. His faith was in God. He he left Ur of the Chaldeans as a man in his 80s to go to a destination. God didn't tell him what it was. Just leave. Leave his prosperity. Leave his assets. Leave his kin. He believed God. And he and Sarai started moving to points unknown to them at first. At first. He believed God. And for that reason, Logizomai, God credited to Abraham's account righteousness. He justified Abraham, not based on works that he had done, but based on faith that Abraham had in him. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. I'm Pastor Nicholas, and I serve here at the Youth Pastor at Calvary Bible Church. And today we want to continue on our series on Stronger. And it's been a little over two months since... Hurricane Dorian as pastor, and I hope that uh, when we looked into God's Word that we find comfort and find strength and find hope uh, in God's Word because as we've been talking about, it's the trials that we go through make us strong. And today we want to continue on this theme. And as we think about life and we think about things, there are many things that are good that we may not like to do, but we have to do. And, you know, one of those things is as you think of a student, you may think of studying. Um, you know, this is something that people, you know, they don't like to do. Some people don't like to sleep. You know, sleeping, they want to stay up all night. They want to, you know, do what they want to do. Uh, some people don't like to brush their teeth. Um, if you're anything like me, you don't like to wake up sometime in the mornings. Um, you know, showering. Hopefully everyone's showering, but, you know, there are people who don't like to bathe, who don't like to shower. As we think of kids who they have to be told over and over that you need to do this. And one of the other things is exercising. Um, there are many things that people may like to do, but exercise it seems to be one of the hard things because you've got to find time to do that. And you see, when, when we think about these things, these are all benefits to our lives, but sometimes we don't like to do it. 
So why do we know the benefits of studying, getting enough sleep, moving our bodies, and brushing our teeth, but it's still a challenge to actually follow through these things? Why is it so hard to persevere through things that are boring, uncomfortable, or difficult? And why does it even matter if we do it or not? You see, what we've been looking at for Alaska, we've been talking about how we go through painful things and how this makes us stronger, how we need to persevere. We looked at a couple of things as Jesus can redeem what's gone wrong, how we need to trust in God and how God gives us each other to help us. As we looked at the last two weeks, talking about how God gives us people in our lives to encourage us. But it's something that we haven't said as, as we looked at this. And when life gets difficult, we never said that God would make it easier. You know, we, we need to understand that just because things are difficult, it doesn't mean that God's going to make it easier for us. But we have a trust and we have a hope in him that we need to recognize and we need to, to trust him. So this morning, what is perseverance? You know, there are people who have broken relationships, people who have been medical diagnosis, physical limitations, financial hardships, loss of loved ones. These are difficult situations that many of us have to endure for a very long time, if not for our entire life. Life gets hard for all of us sometimes, but some things don't get fixed. Some things don't get easier. Some things require perseverance. So what is perseverance? Perseverance is to preserve. Preserve means to keep going even when it's hard and even when you're not sure when things will ever change. You know, when I think of perseverance, I think of a, a marathon runner. I think of as he runs, the race doesn't get easier. It gets harder. It gets easier to, to want to give up. But it gets harder. And, and you see the, you know, they have to persevere. As I think of sometimes, you know, as I may go running or whatever, I, I think I have to push. You have to persevere through that pain, persevere through the tiredness, through your body saying you need to stop. And sometimes you do need to stop. But when you think of that finish line, that's what you try to get to. And in our life, that's what we have to understand, that we are in a process, and we need to persevere to the end. And we looked at this passage about two weeks ago, but I want to just read again. Romans 5, 2 through 5 says this, We have also obtained access through him by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Notice what it says that we rejoice in our afflictions, the problems we are going through, because we know that the affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Again, as we've been reminded, Paul says we can rejoice in our pain because loss and failure produce perseverance. It produces our character. You know, we talked about we need to understand that when we are squeezed, when things don't go the way that we want to go, that's when the real person comes out. You see, when we go through life and things are easy, we always can be happy. We always can be, you know, showing a good face. But when we push in a corner and things don't go the way that we want it to go, that's when the true person comes out. That's when the true reality comes out. And as we consider this, we, we're going to look at another passage, but we want to look at the life of Paul. As we think of Paul and what Paul went through, we remember his miraculous conversion, but we remember his early life. When Paul was young, he took his education seriously. He learned from the best teachers, studied extensively, and did very well. Paul also ran his own tent-making business. 
if you ever really studied hard or tried to find new ways to make money, you know these things don't happen by accident. They require perseverance. They require you to do your best. So what happened? His conversion. When Paul met Jesus for the first time on the road to Damascus, God struck Paul blind for several days with no promise that his sight would ever return. During those days, Paul fasted and prayed continuously. This also required perseverance. You see, we need to understand that perseverance is what all of us need in our Christian life. And when we think of Paul's ministry, when Paul began traveling the world, sharing the message of Jesus, his life didn't get easier. He nearly died several times, survived a shipwreck, got bit by a snake, had multiple disagreements with other apostles, and wrote letter after letter after letter to help encourage and correct his fellow believers. In fact, we need to remember that he was also thrown into prison. Paul had to persevere. He had to go through these tough times, and he had to go through this life because he had to recognize that all this was for a reason. One thing we know about Paul's life was he was passionate about whatever he did. He was passionate when he was, before Christ, when he was killing Christians, he became passionate about his relationship with Christ, and he persevered through all the different trials and tribulations. You see, I don't know if you have ever had to deal with what Paul had dealt with. Again, as we are in this post-Dorian situation, there are people who have lost their homes. There are people who have, you know, don't know where the next meal is going to come. They don't know how they're going to make a living with money and finances. But they must persevere and find the hope that is in Jesus Christ. You see, when we understand that, that our only hope is in Jesus, and sometimes that's what we need. We need to be pushed to that point where we only recognize that Jesus and God is our only hope. You know, you talk to many people after the storm, you talk to them, how are you doing? I thank God for life. I thank God for this thing and that thing. It's only God that I was able to come through the storm. And we have actually seen people turn their life to Christ because of this. And this is not by a mistake. But they had to persevere. And we got to continue to pray for them. So in close, I just wanted to read a passage of scripture as we um, close this week. And we're going to look a little more into this passage next week as we're going to look at the life of Paul a little bit more. But I want to read one passage of scripture from James chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. And it says this, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously, ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. Again, as we consider this and we look at the scriptures, let us consider it pure joy. When we go through these trials, that Christ will produce the person that he wants in us. And as hard as that is to say, we have to just trust in his plan and know that he has the greatest plan for our lives. And now, today's personal God story. Good morning, Bahamas. My name is Rodney Stewart. I serve on the deacon's board here at Calvary Bible Church. And it is a privilege today for me to share with you my God story. My life before Christ was somewhat of a free willy thing, I call it. And that was the chase after whatever the world had to offer me. I thought that having money in my pocket, having good friends, playing games like softball was a part of life. 
But on August of 1996, I had an experience that I would never forget. I was at a softball game and was invited by a friend to a party, having fun, drinking beers and dancing, until about an hour later, something strange happened to me. The beers start to taste bad. The music started to irritate me. And I couldn't figure out what was happening. Just this guilt feeling came upon me. And it's like the conscience is saying to me, go to church. Go to church. And that really took a hold of me that night. And so I left the party. And I decided that, okay, I would go to a church that I've seen um, being built on Carmichael Road, but it was um, worshiping out of a tent. So I'll say, I'll go there that Sunday morning. Well, the Sunday morning came, and I didn't go. I said, well, they might have a meeting on some, uh, prayer meeting on Monday. And I decided I would go, go there. But that never happened. It wasn't until that Tuesday, I was on a job assignment going to Life at Key. And on that journey, I heard an announcement that um, on, New, on Juan Miller show that New Covenant Baptist Church was having a midweek revival. And I say, okay, I will go there. Didn't know where New Covenant Baptist Church was. I inquired it from, from my coworkers, and they told me. That night, at 7 o'clock, I was in the doors of New Covenant Church. And I was just there eager for the altar call. That was, that's all what was on my mind, the altar call. In the process, when Bishop Simeon Hall came on to preach, you know, him with his colorful sermons, his sermon topic was pregnant and ready to deliver. I thought that was really interesting because I am now just waiting for this altar call. And finally it came. And when that altar call came, as shy as I was, I didn't look around to see if anyone going first. I was the first there. And that night, I accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. And my life after that was never the same. I get into church wholeheartedly. Softball, as much as I loved it. In fact, I was the most valuable player in the All-Star that same year. And I decided I'll never go back to softball again. 22 years later. Never went back to play softball. I take my time, my weekends and whenever time, to do the work of the Lord. And since then, God has blessed me tremendously. And I never regret one moment. And if anyone out there who has never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, I urge you to do it now before it's a day too late. Because Jesus is the answer for all of life, problems that you may be going through. Thank you. We want to conclude this Echoes of Calvary broadcast with a Puritan prayer. The Puritan prayer, the all good. My God, thou hast helped me to see that whatever good be in honor and rejoicing, how good is he who gives them and can withdraw them that blessedness does not lie so much in receiving good from and in thee, but in holding forth thy glory and virtue, 
that it is an amazing thing to see deity in creature speaking, acting, filling, shining through it, that nothing is good but thee, that I am near good when I am near thee, that to be like thee is a glorious thing. This is my magnet, my attraction. Thou art all my good in times of peace, my only support in days of trouble, my one sufficiency when life shall end. Help me to see how good thy will is in all, and even when it crosses mine, teach me to be pleased with it. Grant me to feel thee in fire and food and every providence, and to see that thy many gifts and creatures are but thy hands and fingers taking hold of me. Thou bottomless fountain of all good, I give myself to thee out of love, for all I have or own is thine, my goods, family, church, self, to do with as thou wilt, to honor thyself by me and by all mine. If it be consistent with thy eternal counsels, the purpose of thy grace and the great ends of thy glory, then bestow upon me the blessings of thy comforts. If not, let me resign myself to thy wiser determinations. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.